0: Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. A great theologian once said, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. That great eminent theologian, of course, was Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift said that recently in his song, and I love just the candor and the honesty of those lyrics. Many times, my problem's not you or the circumstances. My problem is that guy I meet in the mirror every single morning. I, I hate the fact that I feel like there's two of me sometimes. I feel like sometimes I'm a dichotomized person. I don't have a true mental disorder that I know of, but sometimes I am spiritually schizophrenic. There's two of me. I'm double-minded, and that is so messy when that happens to me. One, one is awesome. One David is, phen- you love him, he's great, he's kind, he's unselfish. His motives, this David, almost always pure, loves God. But the other guy, come on, am I preaching to anybody? The other, the other me, he's kind of a jerk, very self-centered, thinks about himself all the time, kind of messy, has destructive habits, oh, my gosh. Have you ever prayed the profound prayer, God, deliver me from me? Put your hands together if you can relate to what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I am, at times, my own worst enemy. And I've been talking about this idea of God's purpose over the last few weeks, God's purpose, and God has a unique, powerful, supernatural purpose for your life. And if you pursue God's purpose wholeheartedly, I mean, all in. Don't subdivide who you are. Don't compartmentalize. But you're all in for God. You're, you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is powerful. But if you, <laughs> if you kind of separate or divide, I, here. This is what I mean. I love. I love. I love the word of God. I love the word of God. In fact, if you're watching those 21 uh, day challenges, we've been sharing online devotions. Uh, helps a little coaching as far as fitness or exercise. I'm doing my 21 favorite verses in just a couple minutes, a couple minutes of thought about that verse. And there's, I don't know, 31,103 verses, I think, in the Bible. Don't fact check the preacher, but I think it's that many verses. I picked my 21 favorites and I love James chapter 1. And James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, But if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach, and it shall be given to him. But Let that person ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like a ship on the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let that man expect to receive nothing from God. Ready? Being a double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I can be so double-minded. God, deliver me from me. Deliver me from me. So, hey, what's up, Church by the Glades? So good to see you. Put your hands together. That, by the way, if you are new, that applause is not for the preachers, not for me, it's for the Word of God. We're very excited to study God's book together. I hope you brought a copy of the Word of God. If you have your smartphone, there's apps you can find, get the Word of God, we'll be in. Gosh, let's jump to John chapter three. John chapter three. And I have to choose which passage to go to because the person we've been studying is so remarkable that his story shows up in all four of the biographies of Jesus called Gospels. His story shows up this individual in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're studying John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is the bomb. If you missed the last couple of weeks, where have you been? Church has been awesome this year, so I'm glad you're with us today, but if you missed the last couple of weeks or you're like me, you can't remember seven days ago, Let's do a quick review on who John the Baptist was. The Bible says certain things about John. Here's why he's worthy of our study. It says, uh, number one, he was great. John was great. Not my opinion to what the Scripture says about him. In fact, the person that says this is Jesus. You can read some time this week, Matthew 11:11, that Jesus says, John is the greatest person ever born. Wow, that's high praise. And that's not Jesus being kind, that's Jesus being accurate. So he is great. I mentioned because he's great, he's an agent of profound change, profound change. He brings about seismic spiritual change for Israel. By the way, his change was not just spiritual, it was cultural, his impact was massive. In fact, I propose that John's change was so profound. He's the person that kind of changes uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The New Testament kind of begins with the story of John before it jumps to the story of Jesus. And the reason I want to study him and his his, his ability to change is right now, I want to change. New Year's, we think about positive changes, right? But change, change is hard. I mean, make resolutions, they last for like three weeks, maybe. Why is it so hard to change? I think we negate to include a purpose because we have an action plan, we have willpower, we write down our goals. I think we miss out the key components for lasting change is something called God's purpose for your life, God's purpose. And John was all about God's divine purpose. You read his biblical bio, it drips with purpose. From before he's born, throughout his life, he is consumed with this idea that God has a, pick your word, a mission, a vision for my life, a divine destiny, whatever it is, John's all about it. And when you're about that thing, what happens? You see change. That's the thing you're missing. Invite God into your change process. And when it comes to me and God's purpose, sometimes I'm double-minded. John was not single-minded, focused, fixated. I'd say obsessed, that's the reason He's great. That's re- And by the way, when you put all these things together, here's the buy-in for somebody right now. When all these things come to fruition in your life, well, that makes it someone who's incredibly secure. Wouldn't you love to be incredibly secure? Oh, if you're watching online on TV, they're kind of staring at me right now. Look, I'll be honest, I battle with insecurity sometimes. Insecurity can mess you up. When you need validation constantly from other people, when you run around craving other people's approval or acceptance or attention, when you're comparing yourself with others and sometimes you feel good about yourself, other times you feel bad about yourself. Some of us, sadly, we derive a sense of our self-wealth from uh, likes and follows and friend requests. I can be so insecure. Anybody else? Put your hands together if you can be insecure. Put your hands. Yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are not clapping right now. You're too insecure to admit that you're insecure. <laughs> We all battle with this sometimes, but here's why I wanna focus on John today, Here's what's so cool. I propose in my study of scripture, John is one of the two most secure people in the Bible outside of Jesus. Jesus is holistically secure, but John and a guy in the Old Testament named, ironically, Jonathan, I would say are the two most secure people we see in the scripture. Quickly, you can study Jonathan. His story shows up in 1 Samuel. Uh, Jonathan, uh, this Old Testament guy, he is awesome. I love, I wanna meet Jonathan in heaven. He's like on my top 10 list, he's so phenomenal. Uh, Jonathan is the crown prince, his daddy is King Saul. Everybody thinks Jonathan's the next king, why? Because he is awesome, he is a man, he's smart, he's courageous, he's resourceful, but Jonathan begins to discern that God's actually not gonna choose him, but choose this guy named David, you have the shepherd boy. David, who's not of royal blood, David's gonna be the next king. And instead of being jealous of David, or angry at David, or aggressive, uh, Jonathan protects him, chooses to be his friend. When he recognizes God's plan is for David and not himself, his ambition is sanctified. He says, it's not sad, it's happy, I promise. It's a good story of that. I, I, he says, God, if he's your man, I'll support him. I'll prote- David, you're going to be the next king, Jonathan says. My dad doesn't think so. The people don't think you're going to be the next king. And I'm right here by your side. Wow, that's secure. Yeah. That's secure. And wait till you see John. John is so, John the Baptist, Newton is so secure. All right, so i jump right into it. Uh, last week I mentioned, I noticed three distinctives in the story of John, three things we should take note of, we should emulate. Uh, I mentioned, hey, you see John's people, his process and his promotion, his people, his process his promotion. Let me cover all three of these day quickly. So if you missed last week, we talked about his people. John had his people. If you want to see positive, lasting change, you'll need people. I mean, small changes and small tweaks you can probably pull up privately by yourself, but big changes require the spiritual synergy of positive, faithful people in your life. Now, here's why I wanted to highlight this. If you know the story of John the Baptist, we tend to think of John the Baptist as a loner. Like John the Baptist just emerges in Matthew chapter three as this lone figure from the wilderness, and he stands up and preaches fiery messages, and he baptizes people. He's this isolated, lonely dude, to this this lone figure, and when the sermon's done, he goes back alone where he lives all by himself in a cave. If you think that, I understand that, but we discovered last week in John chapter one, verse 35, that John the Baptist had disciples. He had people. Same way Jesus had dedicated disciples, John the Baptist had disciples. How many, we don't know, but we noticed they were loyal. Bible scholars, if you jump all the way to Acts chapter 19, this is decades later in a different country in what's modern-day Turkey, uh, the Apostle Paul runs into disciples of John. John had his boys. John had his people. If you want to make progress in life, you must find people who believe in God and believe in you. You can't be a spiritual loner. You need your godly entourage. Jesus had the twelve. And David had his mighty men and the Apostle Paul had his missionary team. Those guys were so capable, but they needed other people. So where do you find your people? The club, of course, go to the club. You will find probably godly people who will love you and be unselfish at the club. Probably not. Maybe, maybe, probably not. I think the best place to find people like that is, is the house of God. And thank you for being in one of our environments today. Maybe you're at at Dade CI or Homestead, or or maybe you're at Lake Worth Campus uh, uh, here at Sawgrass. Here at Sawgrass, we do something after every single service, right through the source called Best Next Steps that helps you figure out how to get connected. And it's not like one size fits all. We customize the experience for you. It's brief, it's less than 30 minutes. And you go to that and and you see a little video with me. And after that, there's people there. It's a small group experience they kind of sit down with you and say, well, what would you like? What do you think? They, get, they figure out who you are. Uh, I, I, it's the concierge experience of the church. Right. Ever stay at a fancy hotel yeah. where there's a concierge yeah. once? once, Yeah, it's not been many times either, but concierge is the bomb because you, want, you don't know the town, you want like a meal, you say, Mr. Concierge, uh, 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 I, I want to eat a meal. And they'll ask questions like, do you want fine dining, nice steakhouse, uh, best piece of pizza in town? Oh, I want the pizza. And so it's different for everybody. And because we're at different places in our spiritual journeys, your best next step is your own. It might be different from someone else. That's where you figure out how to find your people, your people quickly. So we covered that last week. Go back and watch the message online. We archive all of our stuff for a resource for you, uh, his people. Number two, I want to talk about his process, his process, his process, because in Luke three and in Matthew three and in John three, ironically, John explodes on the scene. I and mean, he shows up, and it's this huge, big deal, and it seems like he comes from nowhere, nowhere. Here's his first prophetic voice in, in centuries, and people show up. It's this amazing, amazing moment, moment. But again, I told you, you know, John is driven by his purpose, and God's purpose is always refined by a process. So we've been thinking about a question the last few weeks. Is that here's the question. It's greatness or positive change, is that season a moment or is that working a process of preparation? If I want a great life, because John was great, you know, Jesus and John was great. If I want this, is that me recognizing, discerning, and stepping into my moment, or is that me working and grinding for a process of preparation? Which, which would it be? Which do you think would be? And we decided last week is both, is both. Don't miss your moment. When God gives you that window to move, move. But before God gives that window, you grind, you work, preparation is required. So again, John's superpower is he is all in for God's purpose for his life. Now here's a crazy thing: uh, John got the broad strokes of God's purpose for his life before he was born. If you all recall the story of John the Baptist's birth, it's really a cool story. It's uh, so John's daddy is a priest. His name is Zachariah. He's married to Elizabeth and they have a beautiful relationship. They love each other. They have a great marriage. They both love God. They're blessed in many ways, but there's always a but. There's always something broken or missing, right? But they couldn't have kids. Kind of like in the movie Up, you know, Carl and Ellie had a beautiful life. They lived in the up house, but they could never have, never have kids. And that was kind of the disappointment. And so they're, they're, they're long in years, they're old. And Zachariah is a priest. And he's on his rotation at the temple. He's presenting the sacrifice in the holy place, huge honor. And while he's in this place, just him and him in the presence of God, an angel shows up and the angel says, Zachariah, God has heard your prayer, and your wife Elizabeth is gonna have a baby. She's old. I mean, she's postmenopausal. It truly is a miracle. And the angel goes on to say, and Here is God's purpose for this child. Don't name him Zachariah Jr., call him John. And here's what the Bible says. It says, it says this in Luke chapter one, it says he's gonna, be, uh, he's gonna be great in the sight of God. He's gonna bring joy and gladness to many people and he'll bring the people of Israel back to God, spiritual awakening. So those are things that are amazing, right? Gonna be great in the eyes of God, bring joy and gladness, and then usher in this spiritual change for the whole nation. So Zechariah has this vision and here's God's purpose, but those are general terms. I got a feeling walking home after this amazing experience. Zacharias like, oh my gosh, I should have asked way more questions. I need details. God, can you send the angel back? Cause what's that even look like? You know, great and joy and gladness and nothing. so where does John hammer out the details of God's purpose for his life? Luke chapter one, verse eighty. Verse eighty. Yeah, long chapter, eighty verses. On the side screen right now, it says, and the child, John grew and became strong in spirit and lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. So he's growing, getting stronger. Where's his classroom? The desert. So he hammers out the details of his prophetic ministry, God's purpose in the desert. David, how long was John in the desert? The better part of 30 years. If you don't think preparation is important, 30 years, 30 years. What's he doing for 30 years? He's growing. Yeah. He's getting better. Good. He's studying. He's refining his God-given abilities and gifts. He's framing, he's framing his prophetic message. You need that time. Nobody sees him. No one celebrates him. No one applauds him. Unseen in the desert, though he's going to work. You grind before the glory. You ready yourself for your moment because you do not know when your moment will come. Are you preparing? It is so important we understand that preparation precedes our moment. So right now, if you're not living in the moment, you're getting ready. You're getting ready. In fact, again, I like to study things about things like this. He's in the desert 30 years, 30 years. How do we know it was 30 years when he began his ministry? Here's how we know. Ah, uh, what's the passage? I think it's Luke, Luke chapter three, verse 23. It says that Jesus began his public ministry at age 30. So now I can backtrack there because you all were here at Christmas at church, by the kids. I hope you were here. And at Christmas, I preached about Mary's relationship with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mama. And Elizabeth, when Mary meets her, when Mary first discovers she's pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth was pregnant six months. So John the Baptist and Jesus are actually cousins, and John is six months older than Jesus. So when John begin, this is the deep dive, by the way. This is part of the sermon, the deep dive. You up for a deep dive, up for a deep dive. This is the part of the sermon for smart people right now. Give it up for your smart people, all right? You dumb people can check out. But smart people, next five minutes for you. So John is, when this whole thing starts, he's 30 and a half or he's 31 years of age. Why is that vital? Because he's been preparing for all these decades. And maybe what's the thing that frames his message? Why? Because John's unique. In fact, here's a question the Bible scholars have. Why did John wear those strange clothes? Because last week we read, the Bible gives us this unique detail. It says that John wore a a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. Uh, Those were poor people clothes. That was like sell target rack clothes right? Uh, Salvation Army, secondhand clothes, uncomfortable and meager. And he was like, is he making a statement? Stay with me, Bible scholars. Most people think, yes, he's making a statement because his purpose consumes his life as part of his message. And they think that he's trying to identify with the prophet Elijah, because in 2 Kings chapter 1, the Bible says Elijah wore almost the same thing. Now, we're speculating here because the Bible never says why John wore the weird clothes. It doesn't say why. So most Bible scholars think he's trying to identify with the greatest prophet, Elijah, the forerunner of the Christ. I love that. That's phenomenal. That's probably correct. Or, here comes the deep dive. Stay with me, smart people. He begins his ministry at like 31. Why is that critical? Well, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. That's the tribe of kings. John's from the tribe of Levi. Levi. That's where the priests come from. He's from a priestly family. And in Numbers chapter 4, verse 3, you would start your first priestly rotation at age 30. You're with me, age 30. So John loves God. And John's all about God's purpose, right? And bringing change. And he's innocent, idealistic, right? He's pure. His first time he used to go serve like his daddy did before him. It's his rotation at the temple. And he's so excited because the temple was a a magnificent edifice, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And priests would wear these beautiful robes by biblical design to reflect the glory of God. And so he's going there to serve and sacrifice. And then the temple is full of amazing worship and, and music and sights and sounds, like aromas from sacrifice and incense. And he's all about it. But Luke, stay with me. Luke, like your pastor, loves history. And he gives us in Luke chapter three historical context for when John began his ministry. And he says these things in verse one. When John begins his public ministry, a guy named Tiberius has been Caesar in Rome for 15 years. And a guy named Pontius Pilate is the governor in Judea. And a guy named Herod, not Herod the Great, one of his kids, is the royal administrator in Galilee. So we can cross-reference when this happens. Then stay with me, have I lost you, have I lost you? All right, then in verse two, same chapter, it says, and Annas and Caiaphas. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests, the high priests in Jerusalem. Stay with me, Annas and Caiaphas, weird names. No one names their kids, Annas or Caiaphas, though those names are in the Bible. Why? They're scoundrels. They're the guys in charge of the temple. John's having his first rotation. He can't wait to serve God. He's so excited about his ministry. And these two charlatans, Annas and Caiaphas, run the show. These guys are part of a religious subset of the day. Though they are Jews, they don't, no longer believe in most of the Torah. They don't believe in things like miracles. Imagine leading at the temple and you don't believe in the 10 plagues or the miracle of the Red Sea. They don't believe that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. They don't believe that Elijah prayed and God sent fire. They don't believe any of that stuff. They don't believe in angels. They don't even believe in heaven. They think religion is a business for this life only. And John runs into these, these fake people in church. Yeah. Ever meet fake people? Yeah. Fake people? They're about playing poli- about politics. Politics, they, they're, they're complicit with the Romans, by the way. These two high priests are in bed with the, the hated Romans. That's where they get their power. They're rich, they're powerful, they're secular, not spiritual. And John walks away so disappointed I think that's why he chooses not to do ministry in the temple, but in the desert. And that's why if they wear these fancy clothes, I'm gonna wear camel's hair. Sometimes pain helps hammer out your purpose. I don't know that's why. When you meet John the Baptist in heaven, you can ask him. You might say, oh, David was completely wrong, but I think that could be one of the reasons why. But the process, the process precedes the moment The moment will come, but are you getting ready? It's not just by the way John. Jesus spends 30 years, same time, 30 years. We get one short story between the Christmas story and Jesus being baptized by John, and Jesus' greatness announced, and disciples start to follow him. What was Jesus doing for 30 years? Getting ready. Unseen, quiet preparation. The Bible, only verse we get is that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. He grew, it said he submitted to his parents. By the way, young people, his parents were not perfect. His parents blew it, he was a perfect kid. He always did the right, he submitted to his parents still and God used that to get him ready for his moment. So right now, if you're not living your moment, you're getting ready. And my question is, so are you growing? Are you studying? Are you working? Are you grinding? Oh, they're staring at me if you're watching online on TV, come on. Don't you go out there and study for C's and pray that God bless you with A's. We do our part, we prepare. John is, John's refining his own relationship with God. Do the work, because if you're not getting ready, your moment will come and boom, you'll miss it. I mentioned last week, I love the orator, great communicator, Winston Churchill, says so many brilliant things. Churchill said this about your moment. He said one of his famous quotes, to each there comes in their lifetime, a special moment, when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered a chance to do a very special thing unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which could have been their finest hour. Turn to your neighbor to every campus and say, don't you miss your moment, don't you miss your moment, get ready, put in the work, don't be afraid to grind and sweat, practice, study, get tutors, get better, let's grow, all right? So it's a process. 30-year process, what happens? Boom, his promotion, his promotion. When I say three, shout the word promotion. One, two, three, promotion. It's when it all comes together for you. It's when they discover you. It's when you step into that moment, and it just happens. And John's moment was magnificent, nothing like it for years. And it says in Luke, people came from everywhere, everywhere to John's church said all of Judea and the whole region of the Galilee, people are traveling for days with their families to this desolate area to hear this moment. So here's, I don't know, tens of thousands? Maybe he spoke by, I know he spoke by the water because he went to baptize people, immerse people in water, Uh, but you know, water also reflects sound. I know this because I fish, Jesus' favorite sport, by the way, I fish. And, and, you know, water will bounce sound. It can carry it for long distances. So these giant crowd It's a huge moment, nothing like it. And for a, so here's this huge moment. But John rec- recognized the moment doesn't come from people. The moment has to come from heaven. Yes. If you recognize your moment is not manufactured by man, but provided by God, you'll be secure. Listen, I love biblical detail. Let me break it down. So it's not just a lot of people showing up, it's surprising people showing up. It's people like, oh my gosh, that person's here. I love when someone walks into church and someone's like, they're in church? I didn't think they'd ever to church, right? I love when that happens, right? I love, I love when someone comes to church, maybe they're a little messy, but they come to church. We find out in Luke, tax collectors start coming to John. Tax collectors were horrible people. They were crooked, they were traded. They were not even allowed to go to the synagogue. They were barred from synagogue, but they came to John, broken, and said, John, We need God, we wanna repent, what do we do? More remarkable, Roman soldiers, the bad guys, right? I'm not even sure why they're there, they're probably there doing crowd control, you know, because there's thousands of people, so the Romans would have their eye on that, they're probably there on duty policing, but they're eavesdropping to the sermon, and God touches Roman soldiers, and when the sermon's done, Roman soldiers come to John and say, John, what do we do? We need this God, we we need forgiveness, what what do we do, will you baptize, wow, The people that were showing up, I love people. People are great, but it's not about the people. It's about the purpose. In fact, in fact, I'll show you when John gets this. Uh, jump if you want to. I'll be in John 3, I promise. I'm getting there. I'm going to get there and just close with that. But Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, part A, part A, is a very interesting verse to me. It says, here's some other people showing up. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized. By the way, another gospel says they want to be baptized, the Pharisees and Sadducees. All right, when these cats show up, John's disciples, remember John had people, his disciples was like, oh, John, we got Pharisees and Sadducees. John, we made it. What? See, they're the insiders. They're the power brokers. Pharisees and Sadducees, the two most popular religious political groups in the whole. Like, when they, John, if they endorse you, if they sign off on you, if the Pharisees and Sadducees, if they retweet you. Oh. I mean, seriously, if they endorse him, he's in, man. He's in, he's mainstream. Look what John does, look what John does. rest of the verse continues. When he saw many of the Pharisees said, he's coming. Give me the rest of her skies to where he was baptized. And he said to them, You brood of vipers <laughs> who warned you to flee from the coming wrath?" Okay, so John did not tell the truth in love sometimes. <laughs> we know our church I almost never bust out, "You brood of, brood of vipers who warned you, but John just blast them because they were not authentic. See, see, at this point in John's ministry, pick your word. He's he's famous, he's popular has influence, but he recognizes that authentic purpose and true promotion comes from heaven. Yeah. See, if you bank on people, and I love people, people are great, people are, people are the greatest resource we have at Church by the Glades, but people will let you down because people are fickle. Yeah. We change our minds. We turn, not, not we betray you, we just get distracted and we chase the next little shiny thing, don't we? And so if you're hoping that, man, if I get enough followers or popularity or influence, I'll be secure, nothing wrong with those things. These things are great, I hope you have those things. It can be a trap, because people, people will turn away. Then what do you do if your security is based on people? But if you're all about God's purpose for your life, you will be secure and you'll be satisfied no matter what the crowd does. Hey, middle schooler that's so worried about being popular. Oh, I'm sitting at the cool kid table. I got it, right? I'm varsity, I'm cheerleader. Just listen, I get it. Those things are great. Nothing wrong with those things. But if your security is attached to that, you're gonna be so insecure and anxious and worried. Let me show you this with John, because again, I propose John's one of the two most secure people in the Bible. Finally, John chapter three. Look at this. So this is a little later on. He's identified Jesus not once but twice. Like, John's preaching, preaching, you know, repent, kingdom of God, baptizing people, baptizing people. All right, <gasps> it's him. It's the one I told you about. Behold the Lamb of God. Remember this part, remember this part? He does it a couple times. When Jesus shows up, he's like, stop listening to me. Look at him, look at him, he's the one. I'm not Messiah, he's Messiah. I'm not worthy, he's so worried. I can't fix your sin, I just get you wet. He give you the Holy Spirit. I'm not worthy to lace up his Nikes. It's him. And people start to do what? Leave John to follow Jesus. All right, look what happens, See what happens. Verse 26 on the screen right now, ready? Here we go, John 3. They, there's always a day, right? Always a day. A critical, worried, negative day. these They're not bad people today. These days are John's disciples, or his friends, his buddies, his, his, his boys. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, that man, that man who, who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, this is so good. A person can receive only what's given them from heaven, The only thing you authentically get a get and keeps what heaven gives you. So a person only can receive what heaven gives. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not, not the Messiah. One great thing about God's purpose, you find what you're called to do and you discover the many things you're not called to do. I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends, the bridegroom waits and listens for him, get ready, and is full of Not jealousy, not insecurity, not anxiety. I'm full of joy, I'm full of joy. When he hears the bride in his voice, this joy is mine and it's now complete. Don't answer out loud, would you love to have complete joy? Full, not, not passing happiness based on your circumstances or popularity, but is something bigger than that. Because what's taking place is here, John, for some time, man, everything in him is going up and to the right. Crowds are swelling, he's, he has this moment, he's the most famous person, most popular person, all this influence. All of a sudden he points out Jesus and people start to leave John and follow Jesus. And his boys are worried. John, church attendance is going down. We're baptizing less people. The offerings are dwindling and they're going to the new guy. You pointed out the new guy. And by the way, he's baptizing. That's our thing. He ripped off our thing, John. How do you feel about that? Are you angry? Are you jealous? Are you mad? Are you insecure? no, man, I'm thrilled. I told you. I told you. That's, That's my job. My purpose is to point. Behold the Lamb of God. They're leaving me to follow him. That is awesome. I don't measure my, my value by how many clients, or how many deals, or how many awards. Those things are great, they're awesome. Or how many followers or likes I have. It's it's based on the King's purpose. See, here's a great thing. The same way God had a purpose for John, God has a purpose for you. He has His lane for you. You fall in love with God's lane. You'll find God's lane is more than enough. See, we fall into the trap of doing what? We compare ourselves to other people. John's disciples, we're comparing Jesus to John. And John's on the decline, and Jesus on the ride, but comparison is so human to compare, it's so natural and it will mess you up. Oh, look at you staring at me. I go to my gym athletic factor and I work out pretty hard. I try to stay in shape, but this gym has like dozens of like fitness champions. They are so annoying. They all have like 3% body fat and eight packs and, and giant biceps and the are ripped and they're all like 20. I look at them, feel bad about myself. Then I go to Golden Corral, feel way better about me, right? If my self-esteem is that fluid, be insecure. But see, when you really dial into God's purpose, his vision, his mission, you're, what he says before you, what he says before you is so big and so beautiful and so consuming and so blessed, it's, it's more than enough. In fact, when you see what God has set before you, you're too preoccupied with what God has set before you to look longingly at what he's put on someone else's plate. And you'll find yourself secure. So again, what's the bottom line? I'm not saying delete your Instagram. Don't be weird. I'm not saying, you know, hey, my next job interview, no resume. No, no. You know, I won't secure recommendations for my next college application. That would be stupid. This ain't, but just don't put your hope in people. Love people, value people, put your hope in God. And I wanna free you from this tension that some of you feel to be seen. They need to see me, need to notice me. Do you see what I posted? Do you see what I have, what I want, how I look? Did you see? Listen, all that stuff on social media, and I love social media, but all Facebook stuff, it ain't real. No one's showing you the real life. They're showing their, their highlight reel. But you compare yourself against that, and you what? You feel bad about yourself. You feel insecure. And you feel this need to self-promote, self-promote. I want them to see me, notice me. Hey, have you seen me? J- Jesus allows John to promote him. Jesus didn't need anybody to promote him. John is his subordinate in in every way, his subordinate in every way, but he waits for John to say, behold the lamb. Jesus didn't need that. Jesus could have self-promoted. Jesus could have walked up to the Jordan River. Here's the masses following John. Hey, 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 people look at John. Look at me, look at me. I can preach better than John. By the way, I can do miracles. John can't do miracles. Watch this, the guy over here, boom, no longer blind. This person, boom, no more leprosy. Uh, I'm gonna turn all this water in the river to wine. Hey, popular, right? Me, 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 doesn't need to. overlook me. John was in the desert when the Holy Spirit said, it's your moment. Do you think you're so hard to see that God can't find you? Think you're so obscure that the Holy Spirit cannot identify you? So you do the work, you refine your character and God will provide the moment when the moment is ready. And then you step into your moment. Next week, I'm going to show you a moment to step into. Don't miss next week. Next week, I promise you this. And if you're new, I don't say things like this very often. No, this will be a moment next week. You're going to see God move in this house at your campus next week. Do not miss next week. I promise you something powerful is going to happen. But in the meantime, it is preparation. It is preparation. Don't worry about your name or your fame or all. Don't worry about building your brand. Build his kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. In John, land of the boat, in John 3.30, he says, so here's the bottom line, guys. They're all going to Jesus. They're all following Jesus. Jesus is baptized them more than we are. Awesome. That's my purpose. Now, I love what he says in John 3.30. I don't know if you have a life first. you have a life first. Like people say, I have a life first. I got like 20 of them. 21. Check them out online. I got 21, uh, but here's one where John says, "Guess what? Jesus is getting bigger and more famous. He must increase. I must." In American Christianity, we're like, "Hey God, uh, I want you to increase, but why you increase? Can I increase? While you get bigger and more famous? Can I get bigger and more famous? Can I get more followers? Can I get more stuff? Can I more? How about that? We we both increase." And John, no, he's, he's fine. If God's purpose is for Jesus to get big and me to get small. Oh my gosh. Here's the part, I know if you're not a Christian, this sounds so absurd, but his is an upside down kingdom. It doesn't make sense sometimes. You wanna be great, Jesus said, be the servant. Wanna be first, go last. Wanna receive, give with generosity. Doesn't make sense. Your accountant won't like any of those things. But he said, you wanna increase, you wanna see Jesus increase, you get small. So the goal of the Christian life is not self-promotion, it's self-obliteration. You come first, God. What will happen is you'll be secure and you'll be satisfied. Jesus said in Matthew uh, 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. Aren't you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Don't you want the soulish satisfaction the king promised? Put him first, chase his purpose in Jesus' name. Father, thank you so much for a weird dude dressed with strange clothes, ate bugs and honey, But God, he rocked his generation. He brought profound spiritual and sociological change. Use us to bring positive change, God. We give you ourselves holistically. Help us not to be double-minded, but all in for a king and a kingdom, our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at cbglades at Pastor D. Hughes.